Hi everybody, thank you for listening to the third episode of Husky Talk. I'm your host, Maddie Sager. And I'm our partner, Emerson Krieger. We are here with Martin Boozer. Martin has participated in the race for 34 years with 32 years in a row. He started mushing at the age of 17 and is now 59. Hi, Martin. Welcome to the show and thank Hi you there. for being here. Our first segment of the show is titled, Who Inspires You? During this segment, we would like to ask for you to tell us a little bit who, about who inspired you to get involved in the Iditarod. Oh, it's hard to remember when I'm an old man like, like I am to, to remember that far back as a teacher. Um, my, first, my first exposure to sled dogs was uh, kind of a muddy affair. Uh, I saw a few people training Siberian Huskies in the fall time, pretty much like it is right now. And they were covered from head to toe in dirty old mud. Uh, the only white thing that I could see was their smiling white teeth, and they had such a great time. And it was intriguing to me that somebody could have such a good time even while they were playing in the mud. Mm -hmm. He said they were training their sled dogs, and I was going to be welcome to join them the next day. This, this was Saturday, and on Sunday they said, come on over, and we'll get you as dirty as the rest of us. So... <laughs> Gave me a coverall, and uh, sure enough, the mud came not only from the cart, the four-wheeled Volkswagen chassis that was stripped down um, to just brakes and wheels and the steering wheel, basically, but the mud also came from the Huskies uh, throwing up the mud from, from underneath their feet. Mm -hmm. So, like the rest of them, I was smiling because the dogs had such a great time, and I ended up having a good time, and uh, that was the beginning of the end. I've been training dogs for 40 years now and cleaning up after them for every bit as much time. Thank you for sharing. We are going to move on to our Q&A segment. We found out that you aren't originally from the United States. What brought you here? So when I got exposed to the dogs, I, I was living in Switzerland where I was born and raised. And then eventually after all my schooling and my military and all the, the mandatory performances, I left Switzerland to go to Alaska uh, the plan was to be here for a year, and uh, it's almost four, oh, well, it's 37 years now that I've been here. Tell us about the year you finished the I Did Rod and then became a U.S. citizen. Oh, that's probably one of my, uh, one of mine, and probably one of my family's fondest memories. Um, and it, of course, it goes back to actually it goes back to the incident in New York City at 9/11. Um, keep in mind, by then I had been in Alaska well over 20 years, and I had become uh, Alaskanized, to say the least. I learned to speak the language, and I became uh, an Alaskan personality, I guess you could say, or maybe star. Uh, never really needed to prove that I was uh, American. I, I sort of saw myself as Alaskan, but after the incident of 9-11, I said, this is a big deal, and if this country would go to war, this is the country I would fight for. And to prove to my young children, they were 12 and 14 at the time, I became a naturalized citizen. So, as you probably know, to, to become a naturalized citizen, you have to learn the language. You have to study history a little bit. You have to go through some interviews and... 
slowly but surely, while I was uh, fulfilling all those uh, requirements, we said, oh, we should have a ceremony that uh, makes my naturalization a little special. So, long story short, my uh, initiation started at the beginning of the race of the Adirondack in 2002, where the INS, the people that do the naturalizations, and they met me at the starting line and gave me a package of uh, paperwork and a little American flag to carry that to Nome. And so I did, as I was racing to Nome, uh, I knew I was going to be sworn in uh, under the Burled Arch by the judge in Nome to become a naturalized citizen. Of course, what nobody knew at the time is that I was going to also break the all-time record uh, and got to the finish line for the first time ever uh, in under nine days. So those were two major events. And then uh, we had a big celebration after I became a naturalized citizen by driving our snowmobiles, the two boys I mentioned, 12 and 14, and my wife and I, we each took our snowmobiles that had been brought up to Nome along the trail by other friends, and then we did a victory lap, and we snow machined for a thousand miles back home to Big Lake. That's cool. Um, how long did it take you to realize that you wanted to be in the Iditarod? Well, it kind of it kind of evolved. Like I said, in seven, 1979, I I to go to to Willow to work for a, a couple that had 250 dogs, a way big kennel. I had no intention of running the Adirondack. I never I never thought it would be possible for me to do that uh, dog wise and financially and and all that. And, um. Obviously, dog-wise, that was not a problem. Those people had lots and lots of dogs, and I guess they liked the way I interacted with the sled dogs that I was training, and within a short while, they asked me whether I would want to run the Adirondack. And, of course, as a, I think I was 22 at the time, I, it took me about a half a second to raise my hand <laughs> and say, please, I do, you know, so... Uh, that was my first exposure. They gave me a bunch of dogs that I got to train, and Eventually ran them on the trail to Nome. Uh, I finished 21st or 22nd, I believe, and um, started to like the, the trail life quite a bit. And that was my first time I, I ran the Adirondack. And um, the second time, the same people offered me even better dogs, quote unquote. And so the first two years I ran, I ran Iditarod with other people's dogs they were Siberian Huskies they were the purebred registered uh, dogs and um, then I then I started raising and breeding my own my own animals how does positivity play a role in racing positivity yes oh it's the modern the modern way of not only racing but training uh, dogs and for that matter, people and and uh, friends are all at the same time. Is positive interactions are just so more much more rewarding and much longer lasting. Um, we do virtually all of our training with what we call positive reinforcement, mm. and um, we raise our kids with positive reinforcement too. Of course, most people do that nowadays. Uh, and I refrain from saying right or wrong. I'm just saying this is how we do it nowadays. 
Um, and that that sometimes takes a little more foresight. You know, it's easy mm-hmm. to want something that might not work well or something that is negative. Yeah. Uh, but a person has to learn to put that out of his mind and just look for the positive. And, and of course, the dogs, they thrive on that if you reward what works instead of if you harp on what doesn't work. The first two years I ran the Iditarod, I used the Siberian Huskies. <laughs> they were the ones that, that, are, that were uh, with Earl and Natalie Morris, the, the people I worked for the first two years. They're nice dogs, but they're not really racing dogs anymore. The, the dogs we use nowadays are called Alaskan Huskies, which is sort of a, a mongrel breed. Uh, I call it an evolutionary breed. I call it a, uh, a mutt. Uh, sometimes I jokingly refer to them like uh, the term American. <laughs> right away, when you when you think about it, they come in all colors, shapes, and sizes. And since color doesn't matter, um, you see a little bit of everything in my dogs as well. We have white ones and black ones and brown ones and polka dotted ones. <laughs> I don't judge my dogs based on the color. Um, did your family follow in your footsteps in the Iditarod? Well, I have two boys, and both of the boys, while they were growing up here, they ran the Junior Iditarod, which is a race that is run by by kids between the ages of 14 and um, 18. So the Junior race is a two-day race, and both of my boys did that four times, just simply because, you know, I, I always say, if your dad has a horse, you probably ride him every now and again, or... Or if you have a bunch of race cars in your family, you probably drive a race car eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so both of the boys did that just because there there was something to do with the dogs for them. And then after college, and actually we were already in high school, the younger of the two ran his first Iditarod when when he was a senior in high school. Uh, eventually, throughout and after college, he ran a couple more Iditarods and. Uh, he now decided that racing is not for him and he wants to be a little more independent. Mm-hmm. And uh, so none of the boys are, are following my footsteps now, which is perfectly fine by me. Can you tell us how you care for 16 dogs and yourself while while out on the Iditarod Trail? For example, feeding, sleeping, keeping warm, and so forth. Yeah, that's of course the, the care we provide for the dogs. That's really the main the main job of the musher. The race is divided in, let's say, 19 to sometimes 20, 25 runs, meaning the dogs run for a section of the trail, and then they stop and rest. The musher stop description is basically that while the dogs are running, I steer my sled, I tell the dogs where to go, I make sure I follow the marks trail, but my real work starts as soon as the dogs stop. So the dogs will be, every stop, we have kind of a routine. I call it my checkpoint routine. Um, as soon as I arrive at checkpoint, first order of business, of course, I make their beds. There will be a bale of straw available for me, and the dogs are bedded down on nice straw. We'll, that will insulate them against the cold ground. At the same time, I will start my cook stove, and we'll... we'll cook for the dogs. While the cooking is going on, we massage their feet, we check their feet. At one point, the veterinarians will come and check the dogs, make sure that they're all healthy and happy. 
Uh, eventually, I'll feed myself, take care of myself. If it's really cold, I'll cover up the dogs with their blankets. Um, eventually, I'll, I'll probably get a nap, uh, hour, hour and a half if, if things go really well. And then we got to repeat the whole process over. We run the dogs for a little bit, and then we repeat the whole process over and take care of them. So that's the, that's the dilemma of musher. As you can see, the dog get almost 50% rest, meaning while they're, while they're resting, while they're eating, the musher is busy most of the time. Of course, the musher is also busy while the dogs are running. So mm -hmm. um, that's why we have a little bit of a sleep deprivation problem as the race progresses. That's a lot of work for you. Yeah, but it's only for 1,049 miles. <laughs> but yeah, the, the lack of sleep, of course, is the biggest, the biggest issue. That's yeah. the problem that we run into because we get, we get so darn tired. Um, have you ever dogs, have you or your dogs ever gotten injured so badly that you had to leave the race? <laughs> um, like I always say, I was, I was stupid, stubborn or tough enough to, um, finish all my races. And because of that, I have, uh, I now have the most consecutive finishes of anybody ever, ever doing the race. Um, the dogs occasionally get hurt, not, not major injuries, but as you probably know, if a dog has any issues, if a dog has a bad pad or a sore muscle or a tendonitis or something, we have the option to leave that dog at home or send the dog home, I, I should say. So in every checkpoint, we have veterinarians that will receive a dog that might have a problem and we can simply send that dog home because... Only when we take the dog out of the team and out of the race can he or she receive medicine. And sometimes the dog might need a little painkiller or an anti-inflammatory or something. And that can only be administered while, when the dog is signed out of the event. So we can do that with up to 10 dogs. And uh, one of the major points, of course, is that we cannot replace the dogs. We cannot bring fresh dogs or, or other dogs into the team. So... If you follow the race closely, you might see the numbers uh, dwindle as the race goes on, simply because we want to make sure only the strongest, healthiest, and happiest dogs are in the team, and we don't really need 16 dogs to mosey on that trail. Mm -hmm. Have you ever taken dogs out of the race? Oh, yeah. I, I, take, I take dogs out of the team routinely. Uh, I always tell people, if you don't finish your meal, I already send you home. Um, it's very important that the dogs eat their food, and if they look at me like, oh, I'm not really feeling all that great, or I'm not really into it today, then, of course, I send them home and go on with one less. And, and often, of course, there's little things that might be going on that you can't see before they manifest themselves into a bigger problem. So, so we kind of have that saying, if you err on the conservative side, you're never wrong, you you always make the right decision by the dogs. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite memory of racing dogs? <laughs> well, victories, of course, come to mind. <laughs> but also, um, just, just interactions with the dogs and, uh, and nature. Probably one of my all-time, now, now that you're asking me about my children, all, one of my all-time favorites was we were coming into Nome. Uh, both my boy and I, Ron and I, were racing in the top 20. 
And uh, the, it was way early in the morning, and we were in the distance. We saw the, no, the lights of Nome, and we were driving together. And literally, almost the dogs were side by side, and overhead was a tremendous display of northern lights. Um, we knew the race was almost over, and we had a great time. It was a superb father and son experience, and, mm-hmm. and now we were enthralled by a. A Northern Lights show that in, in 30 or 40 years I have almost never seen better. So that's probably one of my all-time favorites. But there's, you know, after tens of thousands of miles, of course, I have lots of great memories from the trail. What is your goal this year for the Iditarod? Well, there's a, there's a staggering amount of goals, of course. The one is always trying to win. And if you mm-hmm. can't win, you try to do as best as you can if you can't do real great then you go on a camping trip if you um, so it's the ability of resetting the goalposts I'd, I'd say is reformulate your goals simply because uh, finishing the race is first and foremost in my mind our final segment of the show is is what we like to call Mount, Mount, Mushroom Mount Rushmore you know Mount Rushmore right I know Mount Rushmore, yes. <laughs> if you were to ask to change the faces of Mount Rushmore, honoring people that have made a huge impact on that idea ride, who would you include? You can pick mushers, dogs, volunteers, whatever you want. Oh, I'm glad you, you broadened the choices there. That's excellent. You would probably <laughs> put one of each. You would probably put a dog or two, a dog or two in it, and... To honor the Alaskan Huskies, it would have to be an abstract one because there is so many great dogs. Uh, from the from the mushers field, you, you'd have to choose one of the the early champions, you know. Mm-hmm. To go by victories, there's only one uh, that has more than anybody else, and that's Rick Swenson. Uh, organizers, you would probably single out Joe Reddington Sr. because he was amongst the visionaries and he certainly gets the most credit for it even though there was a lot of people behind the mm-hmm. behind the scenes helping to organize the race and then you would probably incorporate the people of the land too you know you would probably put an Athabascan Indian in the in the mountain and probably a, a Inupiaq Eskimo person uh, again there is so many that would have to be honored and recognized, but that would, that, I think that would spread out the wealth of the, the faces on the on the wall pretty pretty nicely. Thanks, that's very good choices. Thank you so much, Martin, for being on our show. All right, you guys have a great day, I appreciate it. Again, special thanks to Martin Boozer for being on our show this week. Tune in next week as we host Charlie Bania live in our studio in Comanche, Iowa. Special credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail song. Trail.